Hey family, welcome to another edition of Cool Jazz Conversations. My name is Marcellus Shepard, the bass man, and man, oh man, I am so glad to hop into this one today. We are so pleased and blessed to have amongst us two-time Emmy-winning composer, arranger, producer, and bassist, Tony Saunders. Welcome to Cool Jazz Conversations. How you doing, bro? Man, I'm glad to be here, man. So glad that you decided to do an interview on me, man. I'm excited, totally, and I'm, I'm up, ready to go. Well, man, you know, you're talking about, you're so excited that we wanted to talk to just you, you know, I mean, you acting like you're not one of the biggest things in contemporary jazz right now, man. It, it has to be a good feeling. It, has, it is really exciting to be, to have your music accepted is really, really a, a wonderful feeling. And to be, you know, like um, the other day, um, one of my, one of the girls that I grew up with, Nikita, Jermaine, she sings background in the group train. And she was on her way to the airport in Vegas. And she, she said, Tony, I listened to this song and the beat goes on and I'm listening, I'm bouncing in the car. And then they go, that's Tony Saunders. And she said, let me call my boy. And she <laughs> called me, she was all excited. She said, Tony, I just finished hearing your new song on the radio. And you know, that makes me good when my friends, you know, call me up and say, Tony, that was bumping. You know what I'm saying? That That's what, that's what you do this for, you know, to get your, and get the adulation, not only of fans, but your friends and family. You want to make everybody proud, you know, so that they they know when you're putting in those long hours, you know, because I, I do I do 16, 18 hour days sometimes. I can't do them like every day, but I can I do do them. You know, I'll start the day in, in I'm in San Francisco. I'm in Oakland. You know, kind of, I live in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. I live on the East Bay side and the Oakland side. I'll start my day here. And then I'll go, I'll work here for a while and then I'll go to LA, you know, and work in LA for the rest of the day. You know, I it just hop, I hop on the freeway and in five hours I'm in LA and I'm working down there too. You know what I mean? In fact, some people think I live down there. And if they call me, like if they call me right now, I say, hey, I'll be there tonight. Let's work tonight. And and uh, and, and I could be there and, and we, could, we could jump on it. And I've done a lot of sessions like that. And that's how I've gotten to be, actually get to work with a lot of people in LA because I'm willing to drive five hours away and, um, you know, come out of my, they call it, you know, the upper crest. We live up here in beautiful San Francisco Bay Area, you know, to come down to L.A. and, and deal with the smog and the fog. You know, I, I come from the fog and go to the smog. You know oh, what man. I mean? But uh, but I'm willing. Wherever they let me play, I'm going to go play. But I've gotten to play with, like, so many of those guys down there that, that I just dreamed about playing with. You know, but now I play with them and they play it on my projects and it is just like I thought it would be. You know what I mean? Like when I got to play with Paul Jackson Jr., man, he plays. I didn't have to tell him anything. He played the perfect part on my song. That that was just like so good. You know, I'm, I'm playing with Gail Johnson. You know, Gail is so good. I mean, we're like brother and sister. You know, like we, we work. You know what I mean? I, I go to her house and or sometimes I just send her the bass track with me playing the melody and the bass line and she fills in the chords the exact stuff that I and I don't have to tell her nothing she just puts the right stuff you know what I mean and that's a blessing you know when you can have that kind of conversation between two people and they're these people that are you know been she's been Norman Brown's musical director forever forever she's played with everybody you know and she she brings it she she brings it she she ain't no joke you know what I mean she brings it 
And, uh, you know, to have that kind of camaraderie. And then we're friends. We get along. You know what I mean? We're friends. She comes to the house. She stays at my house if she's up here. You know what I mean? That's 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 really, really a great thing. It's more of a, it's just like you. If you came to San Francisco, you better call me up. You know what I'm saying? So we can go to the spot. You know, we can go do what you want to do. You know, so I can share some more stuff with you just like you're sharing with me. It's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. And to have that, you know, to be able to play with Paul Jackson Jr., Jeff Lorber, Niels, these guys, you know, they've all taught me a lot, you know, so, and it's a added to my vocabulary in music. Plus it made me stay up on my game because, you know, to play with them, you gotta be good. Yes, so, you, you know, they, 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 it was funny cause I was listening to Jeff Lorber and he goes like, well, what happened? They asked him, he says, what happened if you don't practice for a couple of days? Well, I said, you know, I, I know it, but you might not know it. If I don't practice for a week, you might notice it. You know what I mean? And it's the same way with me. I got to practice every day. Otherwise, you know, the game, the game gets, you know, the game catches up with you. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a definite thing. I mean, when you're in the music business, you got to constantly put in. You know what I mean? You got to constantly give to, of yourself so that you can keep getting the rewards. Most definitely. And, you know, I just had Jeff on the program uh, last month, month before. So it was it was good to catch up with the Godfather. That's what I call him, Jeff Lorber there. But, uh, yeah. you know, if you will, you were talking about a friend of yours who heard you on the radio. Take us back to the first time that you, in fact, heard yourself on the radio. <laughs> How did Tony Saunders feel? My alarm clock went off. This is 1981 my alarm clock went off and my song was playing on the radio. And I was going like, you know, I was looking around, you know, for something other than the clock, you know, to, to be playing my song. And I was going like, what did I do? Did I trigger something? But my song was actually on the radio. It was a song called When Will My Love Be Right? And uh, for I wrote it for Robert Winters in fall. And it, it came out and he had just had a, hit, a huge hit, Magic Man, and that was the next single. And, uh, you know, it came on the radio. My alarm clock went off. The song was on. I was going like, wow. And it was funny because it came at a time when I had just broken up with the girl who was, or she had broken up with me. You know, um, she told me that I, you know, and I, I just wasn't right for her. And, and, and so I wrote the song, When Will My Love Be Right? In fact, when I wrote the song, she came home that day and she said, when did you write that song? I was going, today. And she goes, oh, we got to talk about something. And, and, and I was like, well, I was devastated. I thought I had fallen in love because this girl had come up to me at a club and said, I really love you. I want to be with you forever. And she oh, was so beautiful. I said, I fell for it. I was like, yes. I, 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 I mean, she was the first really beautiful woman to walk up to me and say, I, I, I love everything about you just by looking at you. You know what I mean? And so if you saw where she lived, and where she took me was all in the woods, right? All in the backwoods, right? Because we were playing out in this place called Marshall, California, population 50, right? Mm -hmm. So she lived in this place called Inverness, right? So it, I had to go up all kind of back roads in the dark to get to her house, right? So that was Saturday night. Monday, I didn't know if she was married or what, but I had to see this girl, right? So I went, I went back and found her house and went and knocked on the door and she went, Tony, how'd you get to, what, what you doing here? I said, hey, I, you said that this was forever, so I'm back. <laughs> you know, I'm back. And uh, and I didn't know if she was married, what? You know, she had kids, she had two kids. And the kids were like, mommy, who's this? 
And uh, said, that's your new stepdaddy. <laughs> this is a for real story. And and I stayed with her for like seven years. And seven years, man. It was and it was an amazing time. She was a little older than me. So um so when when uh when uh, I learned a lot of stuff with her that I did later in life, you know what I mean? Like we used to go horseback riding. You know, I used to, from her house, I would go down to the bay and be at the bay at like seven in the morning where the bay would be still. You know, it just be, it, it was like, like stuff that older people would do. But I was still, I was, I was 21 when I met her. And she, I think she, see, I was 21 and she was 35. And, uh, but she was, you know, she had already, she was a model. You know, she had already, she was a model and she was a great mom and she, she did Scrimshaw. And she was, she was a great girl. She was a great girl. Um, um, we we always had an we had an affinity for each other, and even after we broke up, we we would see each other on the streets, and she would you know she would, we would go and we would, we would hang out that day because you know she just said you know because there was just something about the vibe, you know what I mean? And then and she was she was, it was a great learning experience because when when you're a young guy with the older woman, you know you learn a couple learn of things. things, you learn a couple of things, and mm -hmm. and I, I appreciate. That, that learning period. Of course, my mom would say, you know, when we come in the house with my mom, my mom would say, you need to be in here with us. You don't need to be back there with my son. You need to be in here with us. With, with the, the grown with the, folks. With the, with the grown <laughs> folks. And <quit> playing. <laughs> she was just a, she was just three years younger than my mom. Oh, and my mom would say, yeah, you need to be, you need to be in here with us. <laughs> she, she, she was a cougar in the making almost there. Oh, she she was she was a cougar. Except I didn't know about that. You know, I just know she was beautiful. And oh, she was great man. to me. You know what I mean? And I learned a lot of things and I grew up. And she was like she was like the, you know, the the the, the, the from the high school girlfriends, it was a lot different than her and the high school girlfriends are are my young college days, you know. Right. It was it was it was like somebody with a program that was already established that had a house. You know that that was that was already setting up stuff. I mean, I bought a horse, you know, and 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 we all. If I would have, if we would have stayed longer, it it, it we would have bought stuff together. You know what I'm saying? But I did learn about you know about being a grown up, and I helped her with her kids for like five years. You know what I mean? And the, the kids are still friendly to me. You know what I mean? So that definitely was was definitely. Well, I mean, you are their stepdaddy. Yeah, I was for a minute. I was I was the stepdaddy for a minute. And uh, <laughs> you know, and it was it was a great experience, man. It was I, a great experience, and she was I a great imagine. girl. I, I can't imagine. So you know, let's let's take a step back and take what well, we already did. Take a step back in time, but you know, music was pretty much in your veins from the time you came out the womb. Being that your father uh, was the great Merle Saunders, B uh, three organist, and you know, played with so many greats out there. Uh, legends, in fact, Miles Davis, B.B. King, and others, man. Talk about your father and his presence in your life and music and what you were uh, surrounded by growing up musically. Well, my dad my dad was like a musical genius. And he, uh, you know, so I was around great people from when I was really young. In fact, one story that I like to say, tell, is that, you know, I was in the, in there, in, my dad was in the room with Herbie talking to Herbie Hancock and they were in there having a conversation. And so my dad got on my case um, because I was drifting away from the lesson and and playing my own music, right? You know, the mm -hmm. stuff, because I was going to conservatory from when I was really young. 
and we had to play, you know, straight, straight ahead, read out the book, conservatory music. But but I had this little vibe that I played, and it's still, if you heard it, if you heard it today, you would know that it's the Tony Saunders vibe because I've just gotten better at it. You know what I mean? But that song still had the essence of of the how my chords sound and everything. So Herbie made a deal with my dad. He said, Merle, if he does, if he does his lesson for an hour, after that, can he do his own music? And my dad was like reluctant to say, yeah, 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 okay. Thank Herbie then Herbie then got you out of trouble. Because you ready to tear your butt up. Much money as we paying for this conservatory. Oh you know, you, you need to so he so they that established me to do my own thing and to write my own music. You know what I mean? And this and the first song that I ever wrote, I still remember it. And if you heard it, like I say, my music today is more refined and I've gotten better at it, but I still had that those those voicings that that you know that I used to hear because I when I was growing up I was listening to my dad I was listening to Joe Sample I was listening to Herbie of course um, and I was listening you know because I so when Herbie was blowing up um, when 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 Watermelon Man came out the new version with Paul Jackson playing bass um, and um, all all of that trip that's when I was uh, was in high school and when Stanley Clark first came out so you know I was hearing Return forever um and and Stan, and stanley and herbie so i was hearing all of that stuff that was going in my head when i was when i was in in high school you know and when i was like first playing the bass a lot and uh you know so i loved that music and and that's what went into me and i mean, I mean when i got to meet herbie and you know uh, paul chambers winton kelly was my godfather so wow. you know so yeah i got a picture sitting on paul chambers lap you know what I mean? It's like, come on. It's like unbelievable stuff. You know, um, I remember um, Dionne Warwick came to my house and and uh, I didn't realize it, but her husband um, was playing drums with my dad for a while. Okay. And um, and uh, so Dionne Warwick was there, you know, because I was wondering, how is this drummer driving this Benz around? You know, or driving this Rolls Royce to, to these little, you know, you know, they wasn't, it wasn't the you know it wasn't a thousand dollar a night gig you know what i mean they was just playing at the place for the week you know my dad had this regular gig at this place called jackson sutter you know they played there six nights a week and on sunday they did a jam session at 6 a.m you know because back then that was in the early 60s so all the black musicians stayed in one hotel you know it wasn't like segregation that happened yet not that it has. I'm just. I'm not saying, but <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just saying. But what the, all the black guys stayed at one hotel, and they all came to my jam to my dad's jam session. I have a picture here in my studio of my dad and Miles playing. You know what I mean? And because Miles, George Benson came to my dad. I remember George Benson coming to my dad, and my dad asked. My dad said, "You know, I had just seen him, right? And I heard him sing. And this was before he got famous singing, right? And, and he was asking my dad, do you think I should sing?' I was going like." Did, you, did he hear his voice? I was like, oh my God. That guy was saying yesterday at the gig, you know, and he was the first person I heard scat too. You know, and I was like going, dad, my dad, I said, dad, did you tell him to sing? And my dad said, of course, son, I told him to sing. And then like a couple of years later, um, you know, uh, he came out with that with uh, with that song that, that was a hit on Weekend in LA, you know. Okay. Uh, uh, everything, I forget, are we really happy here? I can't That's remember the name. Masquerade, yes, yeah. came out with Masquerade, and then we were playing. We were my dad was musical director for Randy Crawford, so we opened up for him 
George Benson um, when, when for some for some like Nassau Coliseum dates, right? When he was filling those coliseums, and 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 George was like going, "Yeah, your dad was one Tony that that told me to sing," and I was like, I was going like, "Wow, he remembered that." You know what I mean? And uh, you know, getting to be around Ronnie Foster and all those guys, that was really good. Stanley Banks, you know, who who I ended up getting, I replaced him with Esther Phillips. Um, I didn't replace him. He left Esther Phillips forever to go with George That's full time. I haven't heard in a while, man. Stanley Banks, oh, the man cool. with the tambourine. He played the tambourine and the bass. He, and he had the <laughs> groove, man. Stanley was happening. And uh, he's still happening. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it was it was, it was was great to be great to be involved, you know, just in those kind of circles. I remember when Dion, like I said, when Dion Warwick came to my house, my friends was like going, hey man, is that, isn't that, wasn't that Dion Warwick? I said, yep, 50 Cent, you can come look at her. So I was, a, <laughs> I was, an, entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur even back then. Get a little money on the side. Yeah, me a little no money. Sure. I said, Dion, hope this doesn't bother you, but my friends, just want, they just want to look at you because, you know, you got that hit and they, they don't believe that you was in my house. So they, they came in and and then I think Johnny Taylor came there a week later because Johnny wow. Taylor's manager and my dad's manager were the same uh, for a while. And uh, Johnny Taylor was there, came with them tight pants on, and, and my friends cracked up, you know. And it, it was great. It was great. I would always have those experiences where people would people would crack. Sly Stone, you know, Sly Stone. I remember Sly Stone coming. Sly gave you your first uh, piano or, or organ. He gave me my organ when I was 10 years old. He bought me a miniature B3. It was my Christmas present. I was like, I came in that room and that B3 was back there. I couldn't believe it. You know, it was it was great. And and he was he. I used to walk his dog Stoner, and um, and he had this little dog. He had this Jaguar, and, and so he, my dad. He came to my dad and and said um, he came to my dad and asked my dad because he had he was had this radio show right. Or he was on KSOL. You know, Sylvester Stewart. You know what I mean, and and he said, Merle, do you think I should do it, do the career, or do this gig, do these gigs? You know, I'm starting to get the vibe, and my dad was encouraging him to to do do him, to do Sly Stone. You know what I mean? We go, I'd go over there every day after after uh, I got out of school and watch him rehearse, and my dad would always wonder why you guys come home and go right to sleep. So when <laughs> so when, when my dad went over there, he said, you know, he went. He went, y'all need, need to come on up out of here because y'all need to work done and then come over here. Because oh y'all coming over here and, and just in the ambiance, y'all don't know what's going on, but y'all in the ambiance, that's why y'all getting sleepy when you come home because we come home fall asleep at 8 o'clock at night. That, that after, after being, the yeah, that stuff was in the air and yeah. it was just, you know, it was making that great music. Yeah. But it was, it was a great experience, you know. In fact, um, when he was driving up here, when he just got the settlement that he last got, he was he was riding with a lawyer friend of mine's son, and he had my record in there, and he called me up on the phone. He goes, Tony Sanders, you still trying to play that sophisticated music like your daddy, like your daddy taught you. You trying to play the sophisticated chords. I hear all that. You know, I hear all that. You know, just need to do the funk. Leave that other stuff alone. I said, come on, Sly, that's that's what come out of me. He said, well, you just sophisticated like your daddy, playing them sophisticated chords. I hear you. You know, I like your music, but you playing them sophisticated chords, like you just like your daddy. And, and I couldn't, I was like, he said, Tony, this Sylvester. I was like, hey, Sly, what's up? How you doing? You know, I was like a little kid. So glad to hear from him, you know. 
And yeah. I was going, like, how did you get my number? I said, oh, I'm riding with, uh, he was riding with this uh, the guy that was his attorney, son. And, uh, you know, and, and those are great memories. You know, getting to hang out around him and uh, the people that I've hung around, it's been, it's been, you know, a great thing. I think one of the greatest things was when I got to, one time Larry Graham had people from the audience come up and play bass. So they pushed me up there to play with him. And he said, boy, I taught you. And, you know, he whispered in my ear, boy, I taught you. And you're doing good. You're doing good. You ain't no slouch. You ain't no slouch with that bass. But I still couldn't do the thumb stuff. As far as he says, okay, now we're going to play this song. And I was going, I looked at his thumb. I couldn't believe how fast his thumb was going. And I was going like, dang, no wonder you're so good. Because he just was whipping the bass. But I, but he did whisper in my, he said, Tony, I taught you. You know what I mean? And, and I'm glad to see that you come, that you come out. Man, some incredible stories. And you know, as it pertains to your father, it, it really sounds like your father was kind of like the the life coach, the career coach, yeah. uh, well, he, consultant, he tried, if you will, for so yeah. many people out Oh uh, yeah, he was. He was a, I mean, he only had three kids, but he was a father to so many people. You know what I mean? And, and uh, one of his great, great um, things was when my parents split up, he went to live with my uncle and him back in, in New York. With and, and out of that, Ray Chu, you know, from Ray mm -hmm. Chu and the crew. Yeah. And uh, now he's the MD for Dancing with the Stars. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was who I had to measure against. Because Ray Chu got the gig with Melba Moore when he was like 14 or 15. You know, and he went from Melba Moore to, to Ashford and Simpson when he was 17, when he was still at School of the Arts. So what's really funny is him and Marcus Miller both went to School of the Arts in New York at the same time. And neither one of them played the instrument that they're known for. Marcus played... That's basically graduated playing the woodwinds from the School of the Arts. And, and Ray Chu, not keyboards, he graduated playing drums. Because wow. he, he, uh, he was a great drummer. In fact, he came out here and played drums with my dad, you know, in the summer. So, But he did always play piano. You know, and that was, that was who I had to look up to when we go back for the family events, you know. And I, I was going like, whoa. I, was, I thought I was good. I went back east to listen to Ray Chu. And he had like in his in his little crew um, that came to the house was Nat Adderley Jr., uh, Tinker Barfield, Francisco mm -hmm. Centeno, um, you know, just great bass players. Um, and you know, uh, God, he just passed away. A great piano player, can't remember his name, but perhaps I'll remember it. Um, he had just a great feel, and I'm glad I got to see him play before he passed away. But these guys were playing with all the New York Cats. You know what I mean? When I got to play on sessions with Yogi Horton, all those cats that played with, with Luther, you know what I mean? And because of, because of Ray too. You know, I'd tell him when I was coming to New York, he'd get me on sessions and say, now you can't make no mistakes. You know what I mean? Because he's around Ralph McDonald, Anthony Jackson, all these people. He took me to their studios. You know what I mean? And because he's playing on wine, like with Grover. He's oh, wow. on wine, like, I didn't read on, on Mr. Magic Record. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and he he was like, he was the man for the commercials. I met Will Lee, you know what I mean, back in the day. Will Lee used to do all the Coke commercials, both playing bass and singing, because he got that voice to sound like a black guy. You know, so he was able to do every every kind of session. You know, so it, it was really, really good. So to get in, the, and, and those, those guys were really inspiring. In fact, David Spinoza, I wrote a song called Feel Like Falling. It's written just because I, me hanging out a day with David Spinoza. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and those guys were, were just like great musicians. Stanley Turrentine, my cousin Eddie Moore played drums with Stanley Turrentine. 
you know, when Stanley Turrentine had that hit on Pieces of a Dream. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. That. Yeah. And uh, that was when they talk about smooth jazz. That was when the smooth jazz was, was just starting. Yes, um, I, I got to play with George Howard. You know, George Howard was ridiculous. Yeah. He was smooth and cool. You oh, know, the I, I saxophone. Oh, yeah. man, he's, hey, he oh, had no. a call. Oh, he, yeah, yeah. And do, do I ever cross your mind? Oh, Ooh, we're talking about good songs. Yes, we're talking right. about good songs. That's the song <laughs> that you're going to get your girlfriend with. You play a player that song. That was one of them ones. You That's know when you're I mean? going to get your 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 your, uh, your life right, your love right. Yeah, you definitely get your love right and you get your all right. All right. <laughs> you're all yeah. right for all night if you ever uh, listen to that song. Because yes, they was like, woo, woo, yes, that was some good music, man. Yeah. And I, you know, getting to meet Ashford and Simpson and and all the people my cousin played with, and uh, you know, just to hang around him and to see his expertise, and to go to the studio and meet Steve Gadd, you know, and play with some of these really great people. Um, you know, um, our, my play aunt had this um, Sephra Herman. She had this place called Herman's Sam Sammy's, and they and they did all of the they did the contracting for a lot of those sessions, and they'd be writing all of the charts for everybody. So mm -hmm. when I, you know, everybody would come there to get their charts, you know what I mean? For whatever they were, Ralph McDonald, for whatever he was doing in his studio, you know, um, uh, I forget some of the other people that were that were doing that there, but they were all famous. Um, Pendarvis, Leon Pendarvis, you know, all of these people that were like happening in the 70s. You know, I remember with Luther, Luther was just singing, he would come there, Luther was just singing background on Jingles. You know, the right. Patty Austin was right. just singing Pat background on on the first time I met Patty Austin. She was like, "Why you can't talk?" I said, "Cause you Patty Austin, and man, that's Luther." <laughs> and she said, "You want to come help me walk my dog?" So I got to walk her dog with her when when I was about 14, 15 years old, and she was like, you know, she was already beginning to be famous. Bro, you did a lot of dog walking between oh, yeah. Flystone and Patty. Flystone's I mean, dog, Patty Austin. You dog, know, you know, I if told this her this music thing doesn't work out for you. You got to. Yeah, I'm a good dog. Out. I could go for the dog walker business. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm dog friendly. Plus, you know, yeah. Plus, I'm char. What do they people say? I'm charming, so oh I can I gosh. can be I can open up a charm school to help you <laughs> or to help you meet that special person. I don't know. The first time it didn't work out too good for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what though? That girl, that girl. I saw her when she was six, 50, 60, 70, and eighty. You know what I mean? So we and then we would get back together for a day or so, even then. You know what I mean? She saw me walking down the street when she was seventy years old. She said, "Tony Saunders." That's not forever love. Yeah, yeah. She she said, "What's up?" And we'd go hang out. You know what I'm wow. saying? We'd go hang yeah. out. Yeah, it was it was wow. a great experience. A great well, experience. Family, if you were just joining us, our special guest today is a brother who's quite the storyteller. And at some point in time, he's either going to create a new show called Storytime with Tony Saunders <laughs> or he's going to write his memoirs. But the great Tony Saunders is our guest today. You were talking about uh, session work, studio work. And I know you've done quite a bit, you know, not only uh producing for scoring for film but also for television and then of course being a session musician which one of those is kind of like your your main love or what do you enjoy the most composing? i mean what i enjoy the most so what my dad did really good my dad did really good he interpreted people's music and when he was their md he could really make their music blossom because my dad was the first person to hire johnny mathis right mm -hmm. 
So yeah, my dad hired Johnny Mathis in high school. Wow. And, they, and Johnny Mathis had to make a choice because he was good at, at um, the long jump and the, and the uh, high jump. And, and um, so he could have been an Olympic long jumper. He was that good. Yeah, he was that good. He still has a record at my high school for the long jump and the high jump. You know what I mean? Because he was that, that good. And he was also a great singer. And my dad was the first person to hire him in a band, called him Gatemouth, because he had braces. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, he, he was smooth. And they had a group and they went battle of the bands in, the, in 1955. 50, 53, 54, 55. My dad had a group with Johnny Mathis in it. And it's funny because his bass player, his, my dad's bass player, Frank Roberts, unbeknownst to him, his me and his daughter were best friends in high school. And we didn't know the connection that he had played bass with my dad until one day she was at my house. And I was going, Melvina, what you doing at my house? And she said, well, that's my Uncle Merle. And I'm going, wait a minute, that's my Uncle Frank. Because we went to the 49er games every Sunday with my dad. We, me and my dad, went, we went to, because my dad played football with, um, was, was in the uh, Air Force with Walter Beach, who was number 49 on the Cleveland Browns, played with Jim Brown. So not a lot of people have had Jim Brown sleep in their bunk bed. But I had Jim Brown sleep in my bunk bed. And then the next day, he walked to the stadium with me and he played against the 49ers. Because they used to play Cleveland every every uh, preseason back in the day and we would walk to the stadium you know it was it was it was amazing so i had pictures with jim brown when i was a little kid you know and getting to be around all these kind of people him wilt chamberlain you know they they, they were around my dad and and uh, you know it was an incredible experience yeah you're right i got memoirs i could write you do bro. i got some I mean, stories seriously you you need to put all of this on on record we just lost so you asked me what's my favorite thing to do? My favorite thing to do is produce and arrange because my dad did that really well. And and then I'm second generation of doing that. So I'm I'm pretty user friendly and where like Jimmy Jam say, you have to when he was working with Janet Jackson, he had to live with her for a minute to really get her vibe. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, to really so I feel you gotta you gotta I'm user friendly. A lot of singers come to me and I put the music to their words and then I help them sing the songs. You know, like I hear him. And, um, you know, because you got to be user friendly. Um, you can't be like, it's not my way or no way. You can't be like, because people don't work like that. To get the most out of somebody, you got to, you know, you got to encourage them with what they already you gotta have. You got to know them. Yeah, you got to, you got to, you got to have some of their blood in your blood. Yeah. And um, and that's probably my favorite thing. And, um, you know, so I'm getting like my relationship with, uh, with Gail. Um, has really made my my music blossom because you know we're friends and you know we got the we don't have the boy girl thing happening. We're we're just musicians, right. you know what I mean. So I respect her as a musician, and then there's no boy girl thing, so you don't have to worry about that. So we just we just nailing these last two albums I've done. They've really risen up because she has helped me with every aspect of my career. Neil Neil's I say the same thing. Niels, I played a solo one time for Niels, and he says, that's all right. I'm going like, hey, what you talking about? I just played my butt off. He said, yeah, that's all right, but I need a little bit more. And I was like, well, okay. Wow. And so I gave him a little bit more. You know what I mean? So he said, yeah, you need to dig a little deeper. Tony, that's 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 some surface music you're playing right there. And I said, he says, that's not something that somebody's going to take and ever that they're going to hold it and it's going to be everlasting. You know what I mean? So I took that. 
the reason why I did those whispers songs on my records is because I know Scotty and Walter since I was 18. They okay. they know my mom. I got a I got a, a poster a, a picture in my hallway that I took from my mom's house that's from Scotty and Walter and it's and and all the whispers and they write they wrote to Betty not to Tony and they they were writing to my mom you know saying hey what's up you know glad to see you at our show and you know you know and 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 her husband um, Jimmy B was was their best friend and helped them with a lot of business helped them get on Capitol Records from Solar. When they were leaving Solar Records, I know that he was influential in them getting on Capitol, and then and then helped them get their last deal with 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 um, I forget what label they're on, but you know they, he was influential in helping with the business side. So I know how Scotty sings and how Walter sings. So it was able, I was able, like on Rocksteady, I know how Rocksteady goes because I listened to that song since I was a kid. I know just how they sing. And, and so I was able to interpret that on the bass. And the beat goes on. I had to listen to that a few times because I didn't know that as well. But um, Rocksteady, though, bro, first time I heard that Rocksteady, man, I was up in here dancing, boy. You hear me? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, the toes were tapping, the fingers were snapping, and I was, I was straight in the groove. And then as the beat goes on, man, matter of fact, I just played that earlier today because I just produced the Cool Jazz Countdown before I, I hopped on here with you, and that's the song we're playing this week. But man, incredible! So let's let's go ahead and talk about the brand new album. First off, man, you know, "Sexy Something" was an incredible album, first and foremost, right? That, that was, hey man, that was a fun record, man. That it was a fun, is... and I didn't get to the the uh, the thing about that record is is the the uh, the record release was the day the world shut down. Um, March 20th, that was the day that the whole world shut down. And that was the day of my record release. I'm I'm sitting right where I'm sitting right now, crying like a baby, because I'm going, I can't get my music. I can't play my music. The show, you mean my show's canceled? I was going, yeah, they, the day was calming me down. Because I was going like, I can't go to the club? Oh, man. So I didn't really get to do, I didn't really get to do sexy something. You just, it's your, just your album shut the world down. That's what you <laughs> Your album. I'd rather look at that than the other way than what really happened. And it was it was a, it was a, it was a trip because so my new record it was originally called In the Meantime because I made it like I'm doing this in the meantime. You know, it was originally called that. Um, and then one day I woke up and, and I told my wife I said I'm gonna call it All About Love because. Um, there's all these love songs on it, The Look of Love, uh, Forever Yours, um, and the beat goes on, you know, um, Just the just Between Us, Unlimited Access. Yeah. You know, but that's... You know, I, I was going to say that, you know, but for Sexy Something, although it came out the day that the world shut down, this was the second most played album of 2020. Right, yeah, yeah. An album that owned the charts for most of last year and a good portion of this year as well. So I was very surprised when I saw that you had a new album coming out when Sexy Something still, is still charting. It's still it's number ninety nine this week. Exactly. Matter of fact, I don't, I don't know if you realize this, but you are on the charts in the top one hundred three times right now. Wow. Okay, you have all about love in the top five you have sexy something at 98 
And then you happen to be at number 99 with the other group that you play with, the oh, Noteworthy yeah. Band. Oh yeah, the Noteworthy Band. So that was the uh, Blue Note House Band. And so during the pandemic, we got together and we just start producing great music together, the four of us. And you know, we come there with our mask and stuff on. And, um, and one guy, we couldn't go around because his wife was really sick, the piano player. So he would send him the music. Mm -hmm. um, but that basically started because, you know, I just I realized that Sexy Something was doing really well. And I and after not being around people for a minute, I had to get make sure that I could still play. You know what I mean? And I could still do my thing. So me and the drummer just start playing together and we would play for a couple hours. And then we started developing these little tunes. And then we started but then we invited the guitar player over. And then once he got involved, we start calling ourselves the Noteworthy Band. And, um, you know, because it was worthy uh, of, of somebody, some people taking notes. And we were all, we all play in the Blue Note House Band. And, and we play on Wednesday nights um, up at the Blue Note in Napa. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we play behind whoever. And we just had a good rapport between, between us. And then we all, they would support my music. You know what I mean? Sometimes I play the tracks. And sometimes they learned the songs when we'd have enough time. They'd learn the songs. And, uh. But, but Rocksteady stayed number one for a long time. And, and young kids were coming in and going, Tony, can you play Rocksteady? And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I can play that. I can't believe these young kids coming in going, they stand up there, Rocksteady, Steady. That's my, they say, that's my song. And these incredible, you know, young kids coming in, young girls, you know, coming in going, hey, that's my song. Can you play that? And I'd look at her and I'd go like, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, of course, I, of course I can play that song for you. And uh, you know it, it was great. Yeah, that it was the second most played CD. That that got me through that that pandemic. So I thank everybody for making it the second most. And one of the songs, "Chasing the Dream," which is written about a friend of mine's wife who passed away. And um, you know she did get to hear the song, but it just went over like a million streams. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that's that's pretty special. Yeah. You know, when you can get that many people to listen to your music wow. and get it documented. Yeah, and she got to hear the song. And it was like nothing. This is a girl. Um, she was such a good friend. I could call her after the gig and say, hey, I'm hungry. And she'd say, okay, I'll leave your sandwich on the doorstep when you pass by. You know what I mean? And it would be out there. It'd still be warm. She might have she might have put it in a warmer so it'd still be warm. You know what I mean? You know, and it was it was she made chicken and uh and and she knew I loved cranberry. So I'd have chicken and cranberry or turkey and cranberry sandwich. That was that was me. That was my sound. But um, she made it for me, and uh, you know she was. Uh, I never will. I never will. She's always in my heart, Alicia. Alicia, and she's. Um, she was. Uh, she was just a great girl, and um, you know she'll always be in my heart. And uh, two weeks, two weeks before she passed away, she got to hear the song. You know, so she heard, and, and uh, she was in in hospice, but they was going like. I said, you know, should I leave? Because she says, no, 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 she's up and happy. You know, because they only, they was only letting me go up there for a certain amount of time. And mm -hmm. then there's like, no, 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 she likes you here, Tony. You stay as long as you want. And, and another friend of mine uh, that plays percussion with me, James Henry, he went up there and played some percussion for her. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and these are these are the kind of things that, you know, people don't ask you to do or don't want you to do, you know, and, and uh, no. you know, but it's from the heart, and and it's it's uh, you know it's 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 something special, something special that nobody knows that I do. I donate my time 
uh, some of my free time to bread and roses and we go into the prisons and I got an award for going into the prison the most last year wow. and uh, before they shut it down um, and, and it wasn't just for the music they actually invited me to the groups you know because they wanted to hear me talk and they wanted to you know hear catch up what's going on on the outside you know what I mean and, and now some of them that are out you know they come to my shows and they help out you know what I mean and, and they're good people you know what I mean? I, I met some really good friends. They have become good friends. And I have artwork that a couple of them made for me here, up here on the wall. All right, well, good stuff, man. So listen, um, All About Love. All About your, Love. Your debut for the Baja TSR label. What attracted you to that label? Okay, so Sexy Something came out on San Francisco Records, right? Mm -hmm. The owner of that label um, was starting to get up there in age. He was approaching 70, right? And he's going like, I was making all these demands on him. He's going like, I need to go here. I need to do this. I need to slow down. Yeah, and he was going like, hold it, Tony, hold it, hold it. You know what I mean? He says, I love you, but you need to find you a label that still got the young energy. And, and I don't mind you going out and finding one. It's not that I want to get rid of you. I'll continue to put out your music, you know? So, but but you need to, um, you need to find somebody who's really got really still into this business like that. Because my hustle, this guy used to be, this guy actually, the guy that uh, at San Francisco Record, name is Ron Umau, great guy. He hired me to work with Martha Reeves when I was 18 years old, because he worked in Associated Booking in New York. So um, he hired me at 18, and here it is, you know, now I'm up there in age, and, and I'm still with him, you know what I mean? So we got a lot of love. Uh, and he hired me to work on projects. Besides how he hired me, how I got on the label, I was producing something for him. And then he said, hey, do you want to put out your own stuff? And I was like, you know, I never really thought of it. But 10 years ago, I put out my first album, Romance in the Bass. And uh, and uh, and then Sexy Something was, was definitely on his label. And it was the best one that did the best on his label. And, uh, you know, um, so, so he said to find the label. So I called. My friend in uh, Florida, Doug Sinclair, um, who has a radio station, he owns a few radio stations in Florida. And uh, and I said, Doug, I gotta find a new label. You know anybody I can go to? He says, yeah, I know a guy I can call. And so he called Tom. Um, and, and, and then about, within me calling Doug, and when the first time I heard from Tom was only about an hour. You know what I mean? So Tom called me and he said, hey, Tony, you know, I, I heard that you're looking for a new label. And hey, I'd like to get first you know, first writer refusal on your new record. And I said, of course. And then I, I didn't even know who he was, right? I'm going like, yeah, right. This is a record label. Call me this quick. I just asked this guy. <laughs> I'm looking for a new label. Now a label called me. And I'm going like, yeah, right. This is, and then I go, then I found out that it was Neil's label who I worked with. And Neil's had already told me some good stories about the label, right? So I already knew some good things about the label. So I was going like, yeah, I want to be on Neil's label. Yeah, that sounds good. I didn't want to tell Neil's right away. Cause he might say that I just took, I just jumped from what he said to try to be on the label with him. Right. And uh, so, so time went by, the pandemic happened, and um, Tom called me back again in, in I think January or February, January, and said, "Tony, where's that album at?" And I said, "Oh, it's it's right here. You know, I, I'm 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 a couple of weeks from finishing." And I said, I said to him, I said, hey, why don't we make a gentleman's agreement that I bring it to you as soon as I'm finished mixing it? Because I was within two minute, two weeks of finishing mixing it. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, but we have a gentleman's agreement that I'll listen to it first and I got right, I can refuse it 
or whatever. But I'll tell you honestly if I want it or not. But I tell you, I already heard enough tracks. I tell you, I already want the record. Because he heard a track that I did with Adam Hawley. And he heard a track that I did with Greg Manning. So he said, you know, you already got some good stuff on there. And uh, and so, and then he said, how many of these did you write? I said, I wrote, I wrote most of them right now. And then, you know, I said I had 14 tunes. That, that's just like my last Sexy Something had 14 tunes also. Right, right. And that was just what was in me at the time. So, you know, at first this was called In the Meantime. And then, because um, I was in the meantime during the pandemic, this is what I've been doing, y'all. And I was going to call it In the Meantime, you know, kind of my little street thing. And then, uh, you know, and then so I woke up one morning and I rolled over. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to call it All About Love. Um, um, because this record is really all about love, you know, that I've, that I've experienced during the pandemic. Let me switch it In the Meantime. Because I'd even put it up on my website that uh, if you want to buy my new record in the meantime, you know, send money here and you'll get an autographed copy. And uh, and and Tom said, "Oh no, we like all about love." And then uh, all about love sounds like a good title. So then we and then my old label, I mean Tom was just really nice. He read through the contract with me line by line. You know, nobody does that. You know what I mean? Nobody does that. And whatever. And plus, when people put their money where their mouth is, you know what I mean. When they spend their money, when they spend their own money to get your project, that was like the old days to me. And I'm going like, wow, I'm actually getting money for doing what I, I like. And uh, <clears throat> and I got a contract and I'm going to get to at least make two albums with them. Great. This is great. And he read me the contract. I said, oh, of course. Yep. He sent me. I said, both these checks mine? He said, yeah. He said, great. Great. I'm there. I, I'm a new I'm the I'm the new guy on Baja TSR Records. So Baja TSR now has on their roster the number one and number two artists of 2020. Yeah, yeah, they do. And already going into 2021, both of you are. He's still hitting hard. He's still, still right there. Neils is still hitting hard. Neils' record is going to last forever. He has, has he's, he showed me what to do in music. And then I, I had a, a talk with uh, Greg Manning. I always wanted to meet him because he was doing so many people's records. And he just so happened, I was going to the studio in LA and it was my time to come in the studio. And they said, hey, well, Greg Manning is still working. You know, so you're gonna have to, you know, after driving all the way to LA, I'm excited to get in the studio. I'm, I'm there. And they said, well, Greg Manning's not finished. Um, and I'm going like, what? I said, well, I want to go in and meet Greg Manning because I wanted to meet him anyway. And so we started, me and Greg start talking. And he says, yeah, Tony, I listen to your music. I want to tell you a couple of things about your music, what I think. And he said, I want you to add this little flavor to, to broaden your audience. And so he showed me a couple of things and and he did, we did a song together. And of course I took that, I dissected that, you know, and, and then I, I used his encouragement, you know, to, to, to work. Cause I would have never called up Adam Hawley had I not met Greg Manning. Um, because then I said, hey, I'm gonna work with the best cats because my, my music is worthy. And when I call up Adam, Adam was like, cool. I sent him a song at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. At 10 o'clock, he sent me back, hey, I think we can do this with it. You know, and I was going like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm feeling. So in three hours, you felt that? Oh, yeah. He said, oh, yeah, we cool. We cool. And we, me and Adam, we talk about family more than we talk about music. You know, because I encourage him with his family, his wife and his son. You know, how they, I, I'm really proud of him for including his wife and son. I try to do that also. You know, and um, to include your family. But you should see my grandkids. 
my grandkids hum the melody to these songs. And they, my granddaughter comes in here and goes, Grandpa, song. And she'll pick up these marachas. She'll pick up these little, these little, uh, yeah. you know, these little, uh, you know, shakers, little shakers, right? And they put them back. When they finish with them, they put them back. That's why they're still here. You know what I'm saying? So, so they come in here and they, they get their groove on. And, and we have a room full of people. And, and, you know, we had the music choice on, right? And my song came on and my granddaughter went, hey, everybody, grandpa song's on. And she's four years old. Four wow. years old, man, and her and the two-year-old, they they come in here and they they just they have a good time. So when I know I can get my grandkids that are young as two, you know, dancing around to this music, it's incredible. My my grand my daughter told me that she said she she said pops, um, London's over here humming these songs in the because she said she knows the melody. I said yeah, she knows the, she'll hum them with me. You know what yes. I mean? And that's pretty good. When you can get somebody that young to hum the melody to a song, I knew. I said, I knew that this will be a song for the masses, and 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 you know that that's how that 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 stuff. How I judge when I got it good enough, and plus when people like your music, like like Neil uh, when Tom Hayden from Baja when he came to me, he likes the music and likes what I'm doing with my songs. I mean, because those songs come from my heart. I sit here and I I write them out. You know the the best I can and, and get them to where I where I can. I can hear all of I can hear the finished song when I when I work on the song at the beginning. But 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 I used to have to write out everything for everybody to play it. I used to have to tell everybody what to play. But now I can work in LA with the with the really great studio guys. And you know, I've gotten to work with Paul Brown, um, Nils, um, Paul Jackson Jr. who's absolutely my favorite guitar player. I used to open up my show with his song, I was playing his solo from Steel, Steel, it's called Steel something. I forget the name of the song, but I used to open up the It was a Paul Jackson song. I used to open up my show with that. Oh, you know? still, uh, yes, uh, still, it's the three words, uh, still yeah. small voice. Still small, small voice. voice. That was yeah. my, that was my song. Yeah. That was still small voices. Yes. 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 I used to open up the show with that. Yeah. Playing the solo, playing his solo. Yeah. And my, my day would be doing the chords while I'd be walking yeah. up to the stage and doing my thing. And then we'd go into it. You know, when, we, when I hit the stage, boom, we, we dropped the phone call. You know what I mean? Nice. That's what basically it is. It's like nowadays, you know, people, some DJs go, some people that, that think they know smooth jazz go, well, I don't want to hear no vocals on smooth jazz. I'm going like, wait a minute. This masquerade was the big, do I, did you ever hear George Howard? Do I ever, do I ever cross your mind? Cross your mind. That was like huge. Come on yeah. now. And then the, these guys, you know, the song that Lenny Williams sang. Um, with 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 uh with Kenny G, you know that that song was huge. Come on now, so it's not. I say Brian Culberton is basically like watching James Brown, but on the on the keyboards. You got Brian Culberton up there dancing and doing his thing. He's like the James Brown of smooth jazz because because that stuff is moving, moving that moving that stage and people is up there bouncing. They don't even know why they bouncing. And you got lights and stuff going on and a killer band. You know what I mean? The killer band, and they they do it. And matter of fact, we just lost Pee Wee um, a couple of days ago um, from James Brown's band. Pee Wee oh, Ellis just passed yeah. away. 
Pee Wee Ellis just passed away. I got a chance to work with him. You know, as a kid, you know, James Brown would always go, hey, Pee Wee, you know what I mean? And then he'd come in on the sax. So I was lucky enough when I was 21 years old to play with Pee Wee Ellis and Dave Liebman in a band, man. And it was just like, man, I learned so much. Pee Wee, Pee Wee, I learned so much producing from him because he had just done those CTI records. And he let me, he, he produced the Esther, he produced Esther Phillips and I got to play on a song for her and then I worked with her. You know, she was, she was, she was, I got she a whole memoir. From, from a whisper to a scream. No, from a whisper to a scream. She, she said, she said one night, she said, she said, what you do, Tony? And I said, nothing. And, and then she said, well, last night you could have fooled me. <laughs> she, she said, she asked my mama, she said, mama, she said, Betty, what you do? She said, what you need? And my mom said, I'll just have whatever drink my mom drank. And she said, Tony, you don't want nothing? I said, I'm cool. And she said, last night, you know, you was drinking up a root. You're going to try to act all good around your mama. <laughs> put you out there. <laughs> yeah, put me out there. And, um, and she said, you trying to, sh no wonder you were showing out. Because they used to let us open up. And we would play one of my songs to open up the show for her. Mm. And before she would come out. And we played a song of mine. And it so, so happened to be, we played a song called Tune for My Mom. And it was her song, and, and people said, yep, yeah, the reason why Tony going so crazy on that song, that's his mama right there. That is, bruh, let me tell you, at some point in time, this year, as, as well, I don't know if things are gonna slow down because you know now that the world is slowly opening back up, I know your touring schedule is about to get crazy, but you have got to take an hour here, an hour there, turn on a microphone, and just start talking. Story time with Tony Saunders. I'm telling you, this this is a podcast that the world needs to hear. It's a book that needs to be written. It's memoirs that need to live on till the end of time because you are walking, talking, music history. You are an encyclopedia of knowledge. And you've not only witnessed it, you've lived it. It's in your veins, it's in your bloodline, it's a part of your essence. And uh, this is your contribution to society, your contribution to the world. So the music is amazing. And I, I simply thank you for it, Tony. Yeah, you know, I, well, I tell you, this last album, I really had a lot of fun making it. And when I listen to it, my wife can listen to it from song one to song 14 without, you know, switching. Like first, I want to hear my favorite songs. She just puts it on at the beginning and listens all the way to the end. Yeah. And um, that's that's really that's really saying something. And then a lot of people, I've gotten a lot of people to call to call me about this record and to say that it's really good, a really good record, Tony. And um, that that means something to me. And I like it. It's my first record that I really like. That I think that I'm doing my job. It's the first record that I have liked that I've done. Where I don't say, eh, I could have done this better. I could have done this better. Eh. I say, no, nah, this is a. This is a good capitalization of where I am today, 19 uh, or 20, 20, 19, 20, 21, almost 2022, huh? 2021, yeah. September 2021, this is where I'm at. You know, and, and it's not a bad place. It's real cool getting to talk to great people like yourself and, you know, people like you call me, call me every day. And, you know, to be a contribution to life is important to me. And so getting to do these kind of things that's that's what makes me tick, you know. Um, make, making sure that that my contribution is of essence, you know what I mean? Because I've learned to me, I don't have those bad stories where people go, um, "Well, didn't somebody rip you off coming up?" No. Mm -hmm. When I when I wrote a song for Francis Ford Coppola, 
in, in I was in I was in the movie Peggy Sue Got Married, and I was playing a song on the side. And he said, Tony, when did you when did you when did you write that? I said, today while I'm sitting here, because you know when you shoot, then you got like three hours till till they do it again, right? right? right so so I was there with Kathleen Turner and Nicholas Cage, and I wrote the song, and and uh, and he bought in a remote truck to record it. I didn't know nothing about this, right? I, I could he could have ripped me off because I wouldn't know. I'm just glad to be there. I know mm-hmm. I'm getting a check for fifteen hundred dollars for one day of being in a, in a couple scenes with Nicolas Cage. I'm cool, you know. And I got a free hotel for two nights, you know. And I and they bought barbecue, and we was getting to take all the barbecue they didn't eat. I was getting to take that back to the hood because at that time I was teaching at Tam High School, mm-hmm. and I was going to take that back to the kids. So we was gonna have barbecue all week at school. And, I, and, and you know, it was a great, in fact, I had so much makeup on when I came back, my son saw me and he was going like, who are you coming in my house, going up there to be with my dad's wife? You know, he, he, my son didn't even recognize me. <laughs> I know that's right. Well, man, it has been an incredible conversation and I could talk to you all day long, bro. We're gonna have to bring you back for another episode of Cool Jazz Conversations, but put your social media handles out there and your website so that folks can uh, keep in touch with you, check out your live shows and and be able to get the CD as well. Well, you can visit my website, it's TonySaunders.com. And, and on Facebook, um, you go to Tony Saunders Bassist Producer and, and like me there. Um, Instagram and Twitter, at Saunders Bass. Well, good brother, thank you so much, family. That is gonna do it for this edition of Cool Jazz Conversations. Big shout to our special guest, Tony Saunders. Uh, this program is a production of TVM Productions and is broadcast on its home of WSSB 90.3 FM at South Carolina State University. You can listen to the podcast of this program via iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Amazon Music, Player FM, pretty much anywhere. And uh, on also at cooljazzconversations.podbean.com. You can download it there. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cool Jazz Conversations. My name is Marcelo Shapard, the bass man. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time here on Cool Jazz Conversations. Peace.